Hey, good morning, Cornerstone. It is, it's great to be back uh, with you again after this incredible trip uh, to India. Hey, could we, we've already talked about this for a second or two, could we just take a second and pray uh, for Aaron and for Holly and for Kate uh, this morning? So, everyone I ask you to do, would you just stand real quick? Um, I'm going to ask us to join hands. And guys, even if there's a guy next, it's okay, okay, it's okay, unless he rubs your hand, it's okay, all right? And uh, I, I just want us to pray uh, for, for a moment this morning. Let's do that. Dearest Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and uh, we just lift up uh, Aaron and Holly and especially Kate, and God, we just ask that you would be so near to them, so close to them, that in the midst of unbelievably disappointing news that they would just know your presence. And God, we're just going to invite you to consider healing Kate, to do what the doctors uh, cannot do, to do what medicine has been unable to do. And we're just going to offer you the opportunity to make yourself famous, to, uh, to declare your glory and your power and your strength. And God, we promise that if you would do this, that we will tell others that we will not be silent to give you the glory and the praise. And God, we also know that your ways are above our ways. And if your answer is no, then we will bow the knee and still declare that you are God. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for doing that with me. Hey, uh, India was amazing. I'm not going to bore you with all the detail, but I, I cannot tell you how much it just took me outside of my comfort zone. Uh, we had a morning where uh, we did ministry to lepers, uh, so here we were providing uh, some meals for them, but part of that was praying over them, so here we are laying hands on nubs that used to have fingers that no longer have fingers, and we're placing our hands there and praying and saying, God, would you just be good and gracious to this person, maybe even consider healing them. Uh, we had moments in which we went into uh, just incredibly impoverished. I, you can't believe the poverty. And handing out food and knowing that the little egg and the roll that we were handing out to children was probably the best meal they were going to get that week. And uh, we went to a thing they call the Ashura Project in which they're actually rescuing women uh, out of uh, the sex uh, trafficking trade, uh, teaching these women uh, vocation so that they don't have to go back and do this again incredible amounts of Muslim and Hindu women who are coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and forgiveness in their lives. Um, we, we did vacation Bible school to hundreds of orphans. Uh, in the evening time, we would go into churches and just share testimony and short sermons. We watched literally I'm like, hundreds of Hindu and Muslim people raise their hands and confess Jesus Christ as Savior. Just remarkable stuff. Yeah, just a blast. And here, here, you just need to hear what Suresh is doing in India, what Harvest India is doing. It's un, just, if you ever get a chance, go. I'm just, if you get a go. And uh, you and I need to leverage into this ministry. We need to give them more finances. We need to leverage more of our time because God is doing an amazing work in the country of India uh, right now, and you and I need to be part of that. And in a couple months, I'm hoping we can get Suresh here on this stage, share a little bit what's going on. I want to get Mama Sapora here uh, from Kenya to talk about what's going on in the orphanage there that you and I have a part in. And you get, you get that every Sunday when you give your tithes and offerings, part of that goes to Harvest India. Part of that goes to Mama Sapora and what's going on uh, there in, in Kenya. When you give to the flood, 
part of that goes into building that uh, dormitory there uh, in Kenya. So, guys, I'm just telling you, your generosity is changing people's lives around this world, and, and you and I are having a huge impact and a huge part. It's cool to be part of that, and we're going to want to do more. And so here's, I'm just going to give you a fair warning. In a couple of months, if we can get Suresh here, if we can get Mama Sapora here, I'm going to ask you to be radically generous. I'm going to ask you just to do something crazy in your offering that day, and we're just going to give it, you know, everything that we collect above our tithe, we're going to give that to them just to go leverage it into the world to say, we just want to take more ground for Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to consider just being crazy generous and whatever that would mean uh, when that moment comes. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're continuing in a series that's called Scandalous. And what we're doing over this series is we're taking stories you probably have never heard anybody preach. I mean, you probably have not, didn't even know some of these stories were in the Bible because they're just, they're, they're just scandalous stories. They're, they're, they're a little bit off color. They're stories that make you and I blush. But what we've said together is, guys, when we avoid these stories, when we all of a sudden politely skip over them in Scripture, you and I miss out because God put them in there for a reason. There were lessons within these stories that you and I were supposed to incorporate in our life. And, and when, when you and I just kind of pass them by, we miss the lesson. We miss the moment. So we said, look, we're just going to jump in. We're going we're gonna, to plow through and just tell the stories, and, and, but we're going to learn what God intended us to learn uh, through these, and so we're going to continue today. And here's, here's the thing we're going to tackle. What do you do? What do you do when all the good options are gone? What, what do you do in that moment when you say, look, I, I know what I ought to do, and I know what obeying God looks like, and I know what, I know what Scripture probably says to do, but I'm not sure it applies to this moment. And I I'm just not sure that, that being obedient and doing that, I, I don't think I can get where I need to get doing that. And suddenly, you ready? Suddenly, compromise looks wise. Suddenly, bending the rules and cutting the corner, or maybe looking at a portion of Scripture and going, look, I, I, normally I would obey this, but right, given the circumstances, given the moment, it, it doesn't even make sense to obey that right now. What do you do in that moment of your life. So, for example, it's the young lady who's dating, and, and, and the relationship has been going on for several years, and, and by all accounts, it looked like we, we were going to get married, and then something happened, and, 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 it, and it turned, and now we're broken up. And the problem is we're old. I mean, we're like 24. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, there's not a lot of option left. And now the only guy who's asking doesn't know Jesus. And all things given, I get it. I get that biblically and scripturally, I, I'm, I'm not supposed to link my life up with someone who doesn't know my seat. I know, I know, I know, I know. But he's the only one that's asking. What do you do in a moment like that? Well, what you know you ought to do just doesn't seem to make sense. And, and, and maybe bending a little bit, maybe, maybe, maybe cutting a corner a little bit just seems a lot wiser than doing the right thing. What do you do in a moment when you've lost the job? And it's been a couple months now, and the bills are starting to pile up. And then you get the offer, one caveat, you got to work weekends, which means you'll be out of church, and you know your family's not going to go if you don't go, and What, what do you do in the moment when you go, I, I know what I probably ought to do, and, and, I, and I wish I wasn't in this circumstance, but 
you're in the midst of an ugly divorce and your spouse is taking things that are that much true and exaggerating them. And, and so now you've been painted in a picture that you're just this incredibly horrible parent. And custody's at stake. You, you may lose the kids. And, and so all of a sudden you say, well, maybe I need to respond like and kind. Maybe I need to exaggerate a little bit. Maybe I need to take and, and just even the playing field. What do, you, what do you do in the moments when the right thing just doesn't look like it can possibly turn out okay? And, and, that, and that in that circumstance, in, in this moment, may, maybe the wrong thing looks like the wiser choice. What do you do in those moments of your life? And here's, here's what we're going to discover together, okay? That it is never right to do wrong. Let me say that again. It is never right to do wrong, even, even if I am attempting to do right. So here we go. Grab your Bibles this morning. We're going to take a look at this passage, an absolutely scandalous story. It's, it's Genesis chapter 19. Pretty simple, first book of the Bible. Nobody should be lost this morning. Genesis chapter 19. Let me give you some background on this story, and then we'll get into it. Chances are you've never heard a sermon on this particular story out of Scripture. But you may have heard the story that leads up to it. It's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, what's happening is Abraham has a nephew by the name of Lot. And uh, Abraham and Lot have kind of parted company. Lot moves away, and he ends up settling uh, in the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The problem is this. These cities are dark. I mean, everything they do seems to be a celebration of evil. And so God eventually comes to the moment and says, look, uh, we're just, I just can't even allow this anymore. I can't tolerate uh, these cities even being, I'm just going to wipe them off the face of the map. And so he sends two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah to warn Lot, say, look, you've you got to get out of here because by this time tomorrow afternoon, these cities aren't going to be here uh, anymore. So you need to get out and you need to take your family out. The two angels get to the city. Apparently, they look completely human because Lot doesn't even realize in the moment that they're angels. But they get to town and Lot meets them and says, hey, uh, why don't you come spend the night at my house, which was absolutely customary. In those days, you didn't have a lot of hotels or motels, and so one of the things you just did out of courtesy was you would allow people who were on their way traveling to come stay in your home, and the angels uh, said to him, no, 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 we're just planning to kind of camp out here in the town square, and it'll be okay, and Lot says, look, that's not a good idea. Uh, that's not safe in this town, so come to my house. Finally, he persuades him. In the middle of the night, the men of the city come and begin to beat on Lot's door, and they say, hey, we hear there's two new guys in town. Send them out here uh, so that we can have sex with them. And Lot says, look, I can't do that. I mean, I, I brought them into the safety of my house. I can't do that. And so here's the option. You ready for this? Here's the option Lot comes up with. He says, look, I've got two daughters who are virgins. They've never been with a man. Take them. Do whatever you want with them. Just don't mess with my visitors, which for some reason to Lot seems like a reasonable uh, solution. I don't know. The men say, no, we're not interested in the girls. We want the guys. The angels then strike the men of the city with blindness. And the Bible says they couldn't even find the front door of Lot's house. 
And in the morning, they said to Lot, look, it's time. You've, you've got to get out of here. Your wife's got to get out of here. You've got to take your kids out. Of, go. And so as Lot is fleeing out of Sodom and Gomorrah before the destruction happens, some of you know the story, Lot's wife looks back at Sodom and Gomorrah with longing eyes and say, oh, I just wish I could stay. God turns her into a pillar of salt. This is where the story picks up. Lot turns to the angels and says, look, can, can, is it okay if I go to that city over there? Uh, and they say, okay, we won't destroy that city. Okay? It's interesting because that city ends up being just as dark, maybe even darker than Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, can I go to that city over there? And uh, the angels say, go ahead and flee, but Sodom and Gomorrah are going to get destroyed. And now we pick up the story. So here it is. It's Genesis chapter 19, an absolutely scandalous story. Here we go. Here's what it says. Lot and his two daughters left Zor. Now, Zor is that city. Remember I said, he says, can I flee to the city? They left Zor and settled in the mountains, for Lot was afraid to stay in Zor. So stop and think about this for a second. Lot's been living in Sodom and Gomorrah, deeply dark, horrible city. That God, and now he goes to Zor, and, he says, and now Lot's afraid as he lives in Zor. So it gives you a little sense of maybe how dark Zor was. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger daughter, Our father is old, and there is no man around here to lie with us, as is the custom all over the earth. Let us get our father to drink wine, and then lie with him, and preserve our family line through our father. That night, they got their father to drink wine, and the older daughter went in and lay with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down with him, or when she got up. Now, I don't know how drunk that is, but I'm thinking at that point, you've crossed a line. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night I lay with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight, and you go in and lie with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also. And the younger daughter went and lay with him. And again, he was not aware of it when she lay down with him or when she got up. So both of the Blot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and, his name, and named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. And you know, I go, What? I mean, just in how, you just want to say, what were, how in the world did you get to, what were you thinking in that moment? And yet, here's the deal. This story has huge, huge lessons for us. So what happens? How does this, how does it get to where it gets? You realize that the daughters of Lot, when they get to the cave, Panic. They panic. In other words, here's, here's what begins to go through their minds. They're going, how do we ever get married from here? I mean, it's not like there's any young men coming up and knocking on the cave door. All of our plans, all of our hopes, all of our expectation, we're in a cave. And, and, and they would say, look, and it's not like we were doing anything wrong because it's actually, it was dad that moved us to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was God who decided to mess with our lives. And now we're in a cave. 
And how in the world do we get to where we need to get? How do we ever end up with husbands? How do we ever end up with a family? From here, we're in a cave. And they panic. It's a big moment. Because here's the lesson you and I need to get. Every one of us at some point is going to have a cave moment. Every one of us is going to find ourselves in circumstances that we suddenly say to ourselves, look, I, I just don't know how my life turns out okay from the cave. I suddenly find myself in circumstances. I find myself in a moment that, that I'm just thinking, look, if, if I do what I'm supposed to do, if I, if, if I keep waiting for God to kind of fix this, if, if I, I don't think it turns out right. I, I, think, I think I might end up being a spinster for forever. I, I, think, I think all of my plans, everything that I hope for, is in jeopardy in the cave. And here's why that's important. Because when you and I find ourselves in the cave, in that moment, you and I will suddenly begin to say to ourselves, maybe, 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 maybe doing the wrong thing would set this right. Because if I keep obeying, if I keep doing what I'm supposed to do, if I keep living in the cave, so maybe, just maybe, this is the moment in which doing the wrong thing makes sense. See, isn't it interesting that you and I and lots of, no one knows how long the cave lasts. No one, no one knows how long that is, but in that moment, all they can see, all they can see is the cave. That, that's all that they can even consider. And isn't it interesting that you and I often do the same thing, that you and I simply believe that unless God does what we think He needs to do, when we think He needs to do it, then God isn't being good to us. That somehow God has left us without option in the cave. Let me see if this helps. Isn't it true that if you and I were to look back at our lives, you and I end up with a series of events, a series of places where God took us and things that have happened in our lives that if you had asked us when we were young, how's your life going to go, how our life is actually changed, it's totally different. We, we, we never knew this. We would have never planned this, and yet in the plan of God, here are these moments that we could have never anticipated. Matter of fact, when those moments were happening in our lives, when that new job offer came or he asked me out or we made the move as a family, if you'd asked us six months before, we wouldn't have even anticipated that. And yet that's the direction our life went in. And so we end up constantly surprised, constantly moved to new places by God that we would have never known. And isn't it true that as you and I stand in today, that if I were to ask you and say, hey, look, 
What is it that God is doing in your life right now? That you and I might be able to say, well, I, I think I have some of it, but I've I got to be honest with you. I've got stuff going on in my life right now. I, I, I'm just not even sure why God is doing that. And I'm not even sure what the plan is. And I, I don't know right now. And a matter of fact, isn't it that only sometimes when we look back at our life, that all of a sudden we go, oh my goodness. That's why God let that happen. That's what God was thinking when that changed in my life. That's, but in the present, in the present, most of us really aren't totally sure what God is doing. So if that's true, okay, that you and I don't even totally understand the present, isn't it interesting that you and I are pretty sure we know what God should do in the future for us? And so most of us could say, God, here's, here's the deal. You're supposed to give me that promotion. Matter of fact, I've already figured out, on October 15th, I'm supposed to be promoted. I'm, I'm supposed to be married by the time I'm 24. I've got it planned out. God, i got a little chart. And, and you ready for this? And God, if you don't do what I plan for you to do, when I plan for you to do it, then God, you're not being good to me. Isn't that remarkable? In light of the fact that you and I don't even know what's going on today. That you and I would measure the goodness of God by what we want to tell him about tomorrow. You, you get that's exactly what Lot's daughters are doing in this moment. They're saying, God, look, in this moment you've got me in the cave and I can't imagine, I can't imagine a tomorrow that's any better than this. So I'm going to have to fix this for you. Because apparently you're out of control and apparently, God, you've lost perspective and there is absolutely no way that things turn out okay from the cave. So I'm going to have to do something that I shouldn't do, something that I know in my heart is wrong because it's the only way to get to something good. You know, you just want to say to Lot's daughters, Guys, 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 guys. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if God knew that if you had stayed in Sodom and Gomorrah, you were going to meet two guys? You were. You were going to meet two guys. You were going to get married. But here's the deal. They were going to turn out to be total jerks. They, they were going to cheat on you. They were going to be a mess. They were going to be cruel as husbands. And your life was going to be nothing but misery. And that in, ready for, in absolute love, God put you in the cave. What if? And what if God knows six months from now you'll meet the right guys? You want to say to the little girl that just ended her relationship and now the only guy who's asking her out is a guy who doesn't know her Jesus and She's tempted in that moment to go, look, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I, I know it's probably not the thing, the right thing. But no one else is asking. And you just want to say, God, look, look, look. If you start dating him, what if the guy walks into the room six months from now and he sees you with him and he'll pass? 
he'll pass because he'll say, no, she's taken. And doing the wrong thing, even, even though you think it's getting you to the right place, it's going to be a mistake. You, you want to say to the guy who's looking at three months of bills because he's been laid off his job and the only job that's coming is the one that means he and his family can't make it to church on Sundays. You just want to say, pass. What if, what if in this moment God wants it to be tough? What if in this moment God is teaching your children that money is not the answer? That, that, as, long, that as long as they have God and as long as they have family, they're okay. And you take the easy way, you, you, go, you go do this, you'll teach them a totally different lesson. You'll teach them that God can't take care. You'll teach them that there's moments when, when doing the easy thing is the right thing. You'll teach them that money really is more important. And what if, what if the right job is a week away? You want to say to the parents who have a handicapped child, rather than be angry, what if God knew? What, what if God knew that, it, that your child, if they were completely healthy and would have gone completely chaotic in their lives, and that this handicap, this thorn in the flesh was the thing that would keep them forever humble and forever dependent on God? And that instead, they're going to be an incredible, incredible testimony and light. See, if you're, you and I aren't careful, you and I in the midst of the cave will decide that doing the right thing costs too much and doesn't make enough sense and, and that God somehow has, and that compromising and doing the wrong thing is the only way to get to where we need to get. See, you, you and I are not that far away from Lot's daughters. You get that what you and I do in the cave, that what you and I do in that moment in life when the wrong thing seems right and the right thing seems foolish, that what you and I do in that moment will define what we really believe about God. Because in that moment, we'll define, is God bigger than my circumstances? Is He stronger than, than all the things that are going wrong? Is He smarter or not by what you and I do in the cave? You and I will decide how big God is. How many people in, have been repelling? You ever been repelling? How many people know what repelling is? Okay, there's about three of us, so that this will make a lot of sense. You guys will get this. Okay, so here, here's what repelling is. Repelling is a moment in which you take your brain off and do something really, really stupid. And uh, what you do is, is you, you place your legs in a harness like this, and it ends up around your waist, and, uh, and then you attach to a carabiner on there a rope like this. And you find a cliff, it's got to be a good vertical cliff, straight up and down, preferably, and then you 
go over the edge of the cliff with nothing but the rope holding you. And the way this works is it's not like you dangle off the rope. You actually have to stand on the edge of the cliff, rope attached to your waist, and lean all the way back so it's like you're laying flat in a bed. There's just no bed. It's only the rope. It's an interesting moment because in order for you to actually repel, you've got to make a decision about the rope. (laughs) Do I believe that that rope has the capacity to hold me. Now, here's the interesting thing. The typical repelling rope can hold thousands of pounds. You can, you can hold a small car with a repelling rope. But I'm just going to tell you this. When you get ready to go over the edge of a cliff, you don't care. <laughs> you have to make a personal decision. What do I believe about the rope? It's interesting because you get all sorts of reactions. You'll get, you'll get the person who just goes, oh, hey, this is cool. Ah! And they just, you, you get the person who says, okay, 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 okay. And with just trembling, it takes them 20 minutes to get over, but they get over. <laughs> you'll get a 98-pound little girl who just says, I can't believe the rope could hold me. You get that when you get into the cave. You get in that moment when you go, look, look, I mean, following God and doing what the Bible says right now and living this the right way, refusing to compromise. I mean, I'm just not sure that rope can hold me. You'll make a decision about who God is by whether you choose to lean back or not. And in that moment, if you decide, look, because I don't think God is good enough or strong enough or big enough, and I I think I better help him out by doing what I know I probably shouldn't do, because I'm just not sure that doing the right thing gets me to where I want to get. See, here's the deal. You realize the daughters of Lot do not believe that God is strong enough or big enough or smart enough to fix the cave. They cannot even imagine that maybe God could bring a shepherd boy with his flock up by the cave. It's it's complete. There's just no way. There's no way God is that big. There's no way God's that strong. There's no way God could pull that off. There's no way in the minds of the daughters of Lot that God could change their father's mind. That God could say, you know, to Lot, and Lot in a couple months goes, hey, let's move into town. And as far as the daughters of Lot are concerned, God is not that big. He's he's not stronger than their father. There's just no way. The the cave is forever. So they better do something. Even though it's not the right something, even though it's the wrong something, they better do something because in their minds, doing wrong is the only way to get where they need to get from here. So you, it's exactly what they do. They decide, let's do something wrong. Think about this. Let's do something wrong that good may come. Guys, here, think about this, think about this for a second. If you plant apple seeds, what's going to grow? 
apples. Some of you are going, is that a trick question? I think he's trying to fool us. Apples, lemons, no. If you plant apples, apples come. You plant corn seeds, corn comes. I'm going to plant bad things in disobedience that good may come. Guys, it's impossible. It's impossible to do the wrong thing to get the right result. And yet, in the cave, if you're not careful, if you and I don't watch our, it's going gonna, it's gonna to seem absolutely logical. Let's do wrong, that good may come. Let's compromise on this, that we would get where we need to get. And it's exactly what the daughters of Lot do. And, and here's the thing. They've actually got a good reason. They, they've actually got an honorable thought that our family line not die out. How many times in the passage did you hear them over and over again say, to you, look, 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 if we don't do this, then our family tree dies right here. So let's, let's do this good thing. Let's preserve our family. Let's move it forward by doing the wrong thing. You, you get that it is always possible to justify sin. There will always be that moment in our lives where you and I can say, no, 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 no. this is the most reasonable thing to do with the cards that I've been dealt it's the couple. It's the couple that isn't ready to get married yet, but they say, look, 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 let's move in together. We'll save on expenses. It's only reasonable. It's the wisest thing to do in this moment. Let's, let's do what we know we shouldn't do that good may come. You get that's not possible. the parents of a 16-year-old girl who's pregnant. And the thought occurs to them, you know, a one-hour visit to a clinic, and we could save her future. Let's do that which we shouldn't do in order to accomplish good. See, if, if you and I are not careful, wrong, wrong looks really smart in the cave. It's the family that says, look, let's, let's just pay our way out of debt and then we'll tithe. I was serving in a church about 20 years ago and one of our elders, one of the pillars of our community, ended up arrested. He, uh, he ran a wholesale company selling deli meats to military bases. And he'd cooked the books. He found a way to double dip on his profits. And the FBI came in and arrested him, took him off to jail. And I will never forget that as he sat there in court with the judge, he said, but look, look, I did it for my family. I did it so I could be generous at church. Let us do wrong that good may come. And here's what you need to get, and here's what the story was intended to teach. It is never right, it is, you ready? It is never right to do the wrong thing. Even if in the back of your mind, even if you think to yourself, I'm doing this so that I can do something good. Because, it, guys, the end does not ever justify the means. And it is never right 
to do wrong, even, even if somewhere in your heart you think you're doing right. It is only right to do right, even in the cave. There's an interesting phrase at the end of the story. Did you catch the passage? If you're not careful, you, you miss it, but let's go back for a second. It says, Lot starts, verse 36. It says, So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father, and the older daughter had a son, and they named him Moab, and he is the father of the Moabites today. And the younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites today. And you go, well, that's interesting, kind of a little history lesson there. And that's not why that verse is… Matter of fact, here's what you need to get. Every Jewish reader reading this passage just got a slam dunk on this lesson. Here's why. Guess who the mortal enemies of Israel were for hundreds upon hundreds of years? You ready? The Moabites and the Ammonites. And what God just said clearly in this story is He said, look, here are two girls who in a moment said, look, we're in the cave and doing the right thing doesn't make sense. Let us do wrong that good may come. And you today, hundreds of years later, Israel, are living with the repercussions of two young ladies who simply said, look, I don't think God is bigger than the cave. I don't think he's, and, and, and we're just going to compromise. We're just going to fix this by doing the wrong thing in order to do the right. And God's warning is simply this. That when you and I make that decision in the cave, when you and I decide, look, look, I know this isn't biblical. I know this isn't right. I know I, know I shouldn't be dating him. I know I ought to be. I, I shouldn't. That when you and I decide that doing the wrong thing is the right thing, implications of that can last for generations. It's not just you who lives with the decisions of the cave. It's the woman who says, no, I'm going to marry him. I know he's not a Christ follower. I'm going to marry him. And it's not just you that's going to live the next 20 years fighting with that man about spiritual issues in your home. Your kids are going to have to live in that home. And your kids are going to live in that chaos. See, when you and I do wrong, that good may come. Others suffer for the decisions of the cave. It's the guy who says, look, I'm going to take the job, and I know it takes my family out of church, but maybe it's, you know, it's just a season. And all of a sudden, now your kids are teenagers, and you're going, man, how come, how come my teenagers don't know these lessons? How come my kids aren't equipped for life? Because they weren't in church. They weren't learning the Word of God. And now they're off on their own, and they're leading their own families, and they're not even going to church. We established the lesson. Church is what you do after And when you and I decide that doing wrong is the right thing, others will suffer with us in the moment. Because, because, you ready for this? It is never right to do wrong, even, even if I think I'm doing right. 
this is a big deal because here's, here's the answer, guys. If you're not in the cave, the cave is coming. I just promise you, there will be the moment, there'll be the moment in your life where you'll say, doing what Scripture says, doing, just makes no sense. And, and a little bit of compromise and a little bit of flex, it, it, just, it just seems wise. And you need, you need to have already resolved in your heart. You need to know before the cave comes, it is never right to do wrong, even if I'm attempting to do right. Some of us in this room, some of us right now, you're in the cave. Some of you, you've moved in with the boyfriend. Some, some of you have compromised in areas of your life, and you're, you're in the midst of this right now. And you just... It is never right to do wrong, even if you're trying to do right. And you need to reverse that decision. You need to just call it what it is. You need to get out of that relationship. You need to back up what you did. Because it is never right to do wrong, even if I'm trying to do right. Let's bow in prayer. So here's what I'm going to ask you to consider. Hmm. When the cave comes, when the moment comes, when doing the wrong thing looks wise and when compromising and fudging on Scripture seems like the only way to get where you got to get, What's your answer? What will you do in the cave? And that one of the most powerful things that you and I can do in our life is make the decision before the cave comes. To simply say, no, 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 I, I've learned this lesson. I, I know this answer. And no matter how tempting it looks, no matter how logical it looks, no matter, no, no matter if I can't understand, I will not do the wrong thing even in an effort to do the right thing. Some of us in this room today, you know, all through this conversation, you, you knew. And you'd have to be honest this morning and just go, Lynn, I, I, I am knee-deep. Knee-deep in living in a life that, that I know doesn't reflect what Scripture says to do, knee-deep in disobedience, because I just looked and said, I, don't, I just don't get it. I don't, I'm not sure I can get where I need to get. I'm not sure that my plans will turn out the way I want them to turn out if I obey. And so rather than doing the right thing, I've played Lot's daughter, and I'm doing the wrong thing hoping that good will come. You need to reverse that decision. Good never comes by doing wrong because it is never right to do the wrong thing. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray today 
I pray for those who aren't in the cave that when that moment comes, their hearts would already be resolved, that they would have already made this decision, that in the midst of wrong looking right and compromise looking logical and disobedience appearing to be smart, that we would have already resolved in our hearts, I will not, I will not, I will not do the wrong thing, even in an effort to do the right thing. Because my God is bigger than the cave. God, I pray for some of us in the room that right now, with, with honesty, would have to say, I, I am living right now my life in such a state of compromise. And I, I know I'm being disobedient. And I've justified it. I, I've had like three good reasons why. The truth is, wrong is just wrong. No matter what the reasons and no matter how I've tried to spin it, wrong is just wrong. And it's never right to do wrong. And so I'm just going to bow the knee and I'm going I'm to change my decision and I'm going to choose to do what's right. God, help your people today to not be Lot's daughters. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.